Take your Bibles, please, and let's find the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Chapter 12. The last time we were together, or I had the opportunity, I was blessed with the opportunity to share with you folks, we talked about a life skill. A life skill. What is a life skill? Quickly. A life skill is something like reading. That's an example of a life skill. A life skill is something that you use your entire life. It's a skill you use your entire life. There are vocational life skills, and there are social life skills, and there are all kinds of life skills, things that we learn. Your folks are teaching you a whole variety of life skills, right? Uh, one of our boys, I won't tell you which one it was, when he was little, he had a little trouble taking a bath, okay? And we had a dear godly lady say to my wife, uh, no worries, honey, I promise you by the time he's 18, he will be bathing himself, <laughs> okay? And you know what? She was right, and he's been bathing himself his entire life. That's a life skill, right? Life skills. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The life skill of meditation. Bible meditation is necessary to grow and be fruitful all of your life. So to learn to meditate biblically is an important life skill. In order for meditation to be Bible meditation, you must have three things. You, the law of the Lord, and the rivers of water, according to Psalm 1. You must be involved. It, inquire, it requires you to think. It requires you to think. And one of the life skills I hope your folks are teaching you is the life skill of thinking and learning to think critically and understanding how to process information. That's a life skill. It requires you. You can be a blessed person or one is like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Which one would you like to be? Would you like to be a blessed person or a person that is like the, wind, the chaff that the wind just blows away? I don't know about you, but I'd like to be a blessed person, right? Um, the law of the Lord is a person, and he is the word. The rivers of water are the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is your teacher and guide, and he will lead you into all truth. You, the word, and the Holy Spirit. Those are inseparable when it comes to Bible meditation. There's all kinds of meditations out there, but without those three things, you do not have Bible meditation. Meditation. Well, for our meditation this morning, let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, the evil days, the distressful days, the hurtful days, the harmful days, 
nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, I have no purpose in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the young men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out of the windows be darkened. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be, bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Boy, that sounds like an awful lot of ugly, doesn't it? So that's pretty dark. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness, vain. Everything under the sun is empty and unsatisfactory, unsatisfying. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. And we know that to be true. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, but much study or reading is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. What's the end of my saying? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. When I received the call this week, I was doing two things. I got the text, the text on my phone, the pastor said, hey, we, we need to go out to California, can you teach? I was in the middle of two things. The first thing I was doing is I was listening to the giant killer. How many of you know what I'm referring to when I say I was listening to the giant killer? Okay, that's good. The giant killer is a lamplighter audio drama. Uh, I highly recommend them. They are the kind of thing that you want to preview before you uh, share them with your children. They are very dramatic. Uh, they can be extremely emotional. Um, and they're, they're for a, a more mature mind and heart, okay? I recommend them. They are, they are audio dramas that have been produced from a collection of rare books 
that this family has collected, many of them written back in the 1800s and the early 1900s. And they are books and stories that, that communicate good, godly, biblical character. And I just happened to be listening to, I hadn't heard it yet, and I was listening to The Giant Killers, uh, The Giant Killer this week. It's a story of uh, the king's knight is on a journey to the castle in the high mountains where the king lives. And on his way, he encounters some amazing, amazing things. The other thing I was doing is my meditations had led me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I was, I was thinking about my God is my creator. And Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Ecclesiastes is a small book written by King Solomon late in his life. The word Ecclesiastes means the preacher. And he does just that in this short book of 12 chapters. Now that he is older, he's looking back on his life, and he has a message that he wants to preach. And he opens the book with, quote, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king, of Jer king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is empty. Having studied the book, we know the theme to be that everything under the sun, apart from God, is vain. So what does the giant killer have to do with the preacher's message? And it was interesting to me how the Lord kind of put those two things together for me in my heart and in my mind. What I'd like to share with you this morning is what I'm going to call the life skill of killing giants. The life skill of killing giants. The life skill of biblical worship. The life skill of biblical worship. Bible worship could very well be the ultimate life skill. It could very well be, if not the, one of the most important skills you will learn, skills that you will develop. It's so very, very important. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would uh, teach us a few simple things about your design for us and your design for worship, this thing the Bible calls worship. I pray that you would teach us some things about that this morning and how important it is. And I pray that this lesson might challenge us to think about worship in maybe a little different light than we have thought about it in the past. And I pray that you would use it in our hearts and in our minds to encourage us and lift us out of the pits that we're in and free us from the giants 
that may be keeping us in chains. We magnify your holy name, and we praise you, and we worship you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. The king's knight faces several giants along his journey. These giants aren't typically what you think of when you think of a giant, a very tall, large person. These giants, one is the giant of slothfulness. Remember him? Slothfulness. The second giant is the giant of, those of you that have heard it, do you remember? The giant of slothfulness, the giant of selfishness, then there's the giant of untruth. There's a terrible, terrible monster of a giant called hate. And then the final giant in the story, the last giant, and there are many, but the last in the, in the giant killer story is the giant of pride. And they are ugly, ugly monsters. As I meditated on this and I thought about it, I thought about our characters up here that we've been looking at. Ola Ahab lost his crown there. Over here we've got Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Second Chronicles 19, if you want to turn there, it's, it's up to you. Second Chronicles 19.1 says, And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldst thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek or worship God. This fellow Jehoshaphat is one of the, one of the interesting fellows in this story. This king is, is a remarkable king. He returns Judah to God in the ways of God. He has wealth untold. He even has the Philistines bringing him presents. The, his enemies are bringing him things. He is, he is wealthy. He has uh, respect. He has esteem. The, 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 not only the nation of Judah, but the nations around him are showing him all kinds of respect. He has everything there is to have as the king of Judah. But he has a giant. And twice, once with Ahab, and then later with Ahaziah, Pastor Stephen will have a lot to say about him, he enters into agreements and contracts. Just like right out of the blue, he 
enters into unholy alliances. And the Bible tells us that even in Judah, with everything he did, he didn't take down the high places where the people burned incense. You could call his giant different things. I call it the giant of compromise. He was afraid, apparently, of conflict. There was a city he was concerned about, and instead of going to the Lord to take the city back from the Assyrians, he goes to Ahab and enters into an unholy alliance. And later on, he does the same kind of thing with Ahaziah, a wicked king. Jezebel over here. 2 Kings 9 says, And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu, the man that was anointed king over Israel, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? That's what the Bible says about Jezebel. In fact, Jezebel is so wicked that her name becomes synonymous with the wicked things that she perpetrated. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20 says this, Now, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, this is the Lord speaking to the church, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. This lady gave herself to the devil himself. And she worshiped the demons of Baal, Baal, and Ashtaroth. I'd say she's got a few wicked giants. In fact, her giant was evil itself. O Ahab here, the record on A King Ahab says this in 1 Kings 21, but there was none like unto Ahab. There's nobody like this guy. <laughs> He sold himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. He gave himself, he sold himself to wickedness. I'd say he has a, a few giants. And then there's Elijah, the prophet. 1 Kings 19 says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as thy life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, Elijah, he arose and went for his life 
and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there. So Elijah leaves his servant in Beersheba, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I'd say Elijah has a bit of a giant. He's lacking the courage he needs in the face of adversity, the giant of persecution, the giant of despair. Giants. I was able to identify a few of King Solomon's giants in Ecclesiastes. Think about the book of Ecclesiastes and what he writes about. Vanity of vanity, it's all vanity. Well, what's the all? Okay. How about the giant of accomplishment or, or success? He continually talks about his labor and he boasts of all he has done, accomplishment, labor, wealth. He has more money than he knows what to do with. Our historians tell us he's probably the wealthiest person that ever lived. He can afford anything he wants. The giant of wealth, which follows the giant of possessions. He's got more stuff than he knows what to do with. When would he play with all that? You know, there's only 365 days in a year. It'd be like, Nathan, it'd be like playing with a toy, and when you're done playing with it, you throw away and get a new one. And you play with that one, and then you throw it away and get a new one. That's how much money he's got. Isn't that incredible? Possessions, the giant of pleasure. And we know that pleasure was a giant for him, the giant of time. He says, I don't have enough time to enjoy all this. I don't have enough time to do what I want to do. The giant of time, madness and folly. Even the giants of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom became a giant to him. Look with me at chapter 1 quickly. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. The preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And he says, and I gave my heart to seek, that's a worship word, and search, that's a worship word, seek and search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given the sons of man to, ex to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. There's the giant. These are giants. Vanity and vexation of spirit. 
That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in such, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Wow. Giants. Note that he gave his heart. And what he gave his heart to became his giants. But he ends the book with a conclusion. And I think that conclusion is very simply put, is the key to slaying your giants. Ecclesiastes 12.1, I am impressed with the number of words there are in the scriptures that are akin to the word worship. There are three key words I want to draw your attention to that are akin to worship, and I'm calling those worship words, okay? That's just, that's just me. The Bible says in 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 1, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Then look with me in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The first worship word I want us to draw our attention to is the word remember in verse 1. Remember now thy creator. The second word is the word fear in verse 13. And the third word is the word keep. Remember, fear, and keep. These are the things the Lord would have us do. This is our responsibility when facing our Giants. One of the problems with giants is that we get the idea that they are invincible. They're too big. But God has provided a solution. And that solution begins with worship. If you learn to worship biblically, your giants will become small or fall away altogether. Each of these key worship words are followed by an object. There is something to be remembered, there is something to be feared, and there is something that we are to keep. Let's look at verse 1. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Why does he say thy creator? Remember thy creator. That was interesting to me. Why didn't he say Remember now thy God. He could have said that. 
right? Remember now the Almighty. He could have used any of the names of God to be remembered, but he chose the word creator. Do you think that's interesting? Why did he say, remember thy creator in the light of giants? Recently, Mrs. Reisinger and I, uh, with our state of affairs in our country today, we got interested in our founding. And I logged on to Hillsdale College and I entered into a free class. It's a series of about 12 lectures given by professors and they take us all the way back to the 1700s, the 1600s and the 1700s and they're talking about our founding and in particular how we developed the Constitution of the United States. And he said something um, very interesting to me. The Constitution of the United States is that document that gives our nation its context from which it functions. It answers the questions, where did we come from, why are we here, and where are we going as a nation? In other words, it provides us with meaning and purpose for our existence as a country. As a nation, therefore, Whenever we have a situation that requires our attention, we refer to the Constitution, the document our nation was founded on, right? The Bible, from cover to cover, is that document, our authority, that provides the context from which we function as human beings, right? The Bible is God's record of his revelation, relationship, reconciliation, and redemption. It answers the questions, where did we come from, why are we here, and where are we going? The great almighty King Jesus wants us to remember, to mark, to be mindful of, to think about, to bring in remembrance the Creator. And not only that he is the creator, but that he is thy creator. Now think about this seriously. I am a creation of the almighty God. You say, well, you know, Uncle Bob, everybody knows that. Do we? Think about that. You and I are unique, special creations of Almighty God made in His image. If you and I are created beings, if we are a creation, that means that we have great purpose. Great purpose. Let's imagine for a moment that you have never seen a bicycle and I bring a bicycle up here, and I stand it up here, and you say, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting contraption. And you, the first question you're going to ask is, where did it come from? Well, I made it. Why is it here? Well, it has a purpose. Well, what do you do with it? Where is it going? Well, maybe is, is it something we hang our laundry on? Maybe we could pin our socks to the wheel spokes. 
Is, is that what it is? It, it's a clothes dryer? Maybe we sit a planter on the seat. Well, it's a nice planter stand for our flowers, right? No. You would ask the Creator, the one who made the thing, what's its purpose? What does it do? What was it designed for? Right? And we know that it's, a, it's an instrument of transportation. You get on the thing and balance it and pedal it and it'll take you where you want to go. It is designed by a Creator to function a certain way for a specific person, purpose. That's a Creator. If you are simply the consequence of some evolutionary process, then the only meaning and purpose you can possibly be confident in is that which is, that is that which other evolved beings, men, devise. If I'm, if I'm the consequence of evolution, then the only meaning and purpose I have in life is that which we come up with. There's no authority. Without a creator, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. If there is anything we know about God, it is he does nothing arbitrarily. He didn't get up one day and say, well, what do you say we create a universe today and create a man to live in it? No. He is very intentional with everything he does. He created the universe and he put me in it with great meaning and purpose. What Solomon seems to be saying is don't wait until you are old and gray like I am now to remember your creator. If I had remembered him in my youth, these things would not have ever become giants to me. I would have enjoyed them all within the context of my relationship to him and with him and I would have enjoyed them. In Revelation 4.11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Look now at verse 13 with me. Ecclesiastes 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So our first key word is remember, and remember thy creator. Our next key word is the word fear. Fear. Well, what are we supposed to fear, Solomon? Fear God. It's not a what, it's a who. Fear in the Bible is a worship word. Someone has said, Thou which you fear, that which you fear most will ultimately be that which you worship most. Let me say that again. That which you fear most will ultimately be that which you worship most. Fear is a word that is a little bit complicated in the scriptures and, and as an emotion, it, it is somewhat complex. So to break it down, basically, there is healthy fear, 
There's fear that's good for you, and there is unhealthy fear. Okay? Uh, unhealthy fear. Uh, have you ever met someone who's just afraid of everything? I've, I've got a cat at home that's a fraidy cat. Okay? You know, that, that cat, you can't get within 10 feet of that cat, and it gets afraid of something. It just lives in constant fear. Okay? That's unhealthy fear. But then there's healthy fear, right? The way God's designed us, he's designed us to be afraid of things that can hurt us. And that's important. A wonderful example of this is Psalm 34, and I'll leave that to your meditation. But uh, some examples is in verse 4 it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me from all my unhealthy fears. And then in verse 7 he says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's a healthy fear. In our text, in Ecclesiastes 12 here, the word fear is a Hebrew word that means to fear, to morally revere or reverence. It can also mean, uh, it can also mean to be afraid, to be frightened, uh, to be fearful or afraid. Noah Webster, 1828, he says this, In good men the fear of God is a holy awe or reverence of God and His laws, which spring from a just view and real love of the divine character. Inclining them to aim at perfect obedience, he says it is the worship of God. Fear in the Bible is the worship of God. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. We were created to worship. We were created for worship. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. There it is. Everything we are to worship. Remember the Creator that we are the creation. Fear God. Worship Him. And our third word is keep. Keep His commandments. The worship word keep means to hedge about. That is to guard, to protect, to attend to. It does mean to take heed, to watch, to obey. It is used in the King James as to keep, to observe, to preserve, beware of, mark, be a watchman, wait, watch, regard, and save. We are to keep, guard His commandments. His commandments, that's the collective whole of His divine commands, precepts, and ordinances. Between the covers of His holy book are many things. But it is no less than His revelation, relationship, reconciliation, and redemption. It answers the questions, who is God? Who is His enemy? Who am I? And who is His neighbor? In other words, what he, said, what he has said, what He has revealed to us, 
We are to guard it. We are to protect it, attend to it, be vigilant and wait upon it. Now, this is interesting within the context of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 1, the preacher says, And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. In chapter 12, then, in his conclusion, he says, Keep his commandments. It occurs to me that those two phrases are akin to each other. They are similar. You see, what you give your heart to is what you ultimately worship. What you give your heart to becomes bigger than anything else in your life. There's a great Bible word. It's the Bible word magnify. You know what a magnifying glass is? You know, that's that thing you look through and it makes the object below it bigger than it actually is. The word magnify in the scriptures doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean, oh, come let us magnify, come let us make God bigger than he is. It means come let us see God as big as he is. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Giants are overcome by something or someone which is much bigger than the giant itself. Giants are overcome by something or someone much bigger than the giant itself. Remember, keep fear, for this is the whole duty of man. Look in your Bible at that phrase, the whole duty of man. You see how the word duty there is in italics? The King James translators put that word in there to help us with the, the meaning, the context. But you could lift that word out and read it, for this is the whole of man. Not just what you were created to do, but what you are. A worshiper, created to worship, created for worship. Quickly then, I want you to think with me here. If this is truly our ultimate purpose, if this is indeed what we have been designed to be, what are the implications or the result of that Bible truth? The word worship itself means to bow down, to lay prostrate, means to lay on the floor or the ground, to give reverence to that which is worthy, to give, uh, at, to give adoration, to adore, to give divine honor to, to reverence with supreme respect because he is worthy. In the context of Ecclesiastes, when we worship our Creator, He has a way of making sense out of the universe. Under the sun, without God, all is vanity, empty, and unsatisfactory. But under God, the universe takes on a whole new dynamic. It takes on a whole new meaning and purpose, His purpose. He transforms those giants for His pleasure. There's an interesting passage of scripture regarding King Ahab. This guy here, the man that was like none other. Turn in your Bibles with me quickly to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21, I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. I want you to see this in your Bible. But there was none like unto Ahab. 
But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. His giant was wickedness of all kinds, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably following idols according to all things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now watch this. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, he rent his clothes and put, uh, put sackcloth in, upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Those are all worship activities. Those are all acts of worship. When he heard that God was going to judge his family and wipe his entire family out with a terrible judgment, he does something amazing. This guy worships the Creator. He worships God. And it gets God's attention. That's the amazing part of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil that I have prophesied in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. The word humbleth there means to bow the knee. And the next verse says, verse 1, and they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. He had peace for three years. This guy. That's amazing. There's no evidence that Ahab repented. It doesn't say that he repented. He said, well, he worshiped the Lord. You can worship the Lord without repenting. He was that wicked. But he bowed the knee and it got God's attention. And he stayed his hand for three years. That's how important worship is to God. In the context of the gospel, worship is to enjoy him. By grace through faith we enjoy fellowship and communion and the oneness with him that he has secured for us. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Galatians 1. So what is a giant? A giant is anything that keeps you from worshiping your Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. Revelation 3, 20 and 22, and we'll close. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in the, my throne, even as I also overcame, and am sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. I thought a lot about that door. Jesus standing behind that door. He says, hey, you got a giant? True Bible worship is the key that opens the door to the giant killer. The presence of Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is far bigger than any giant you will ever encounter. We're facing some pretty big giants as a nation right now. But I know the giant killer. He's bigger. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Psalm 100. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this thing you call worship. Thank you for creating us to be worshipers. Thank you for giving us the ability to worship you and you alone. <laughs> thank you for what you're about to do. Thank you for slaying our giants. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.